Gun owners across the country have become targets of frivolous lawsuits. At X-Insurance, we provide custom firearm liability insurance to eliminate your exposure and to protect you from unscrupulous lawyers. And if lawsuits arise, we aggressively fight them. We're the best at what we do, and we've been doing it for more than 40 years. We offer same-day quotes and solutions. So call us today or have your agent call us, and let's get that target off your back. For more information, visit xinsurance.com. Welcome to Journey On. I'm DJ Burr, the host and executive producer. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, behavioral addiction specialist, and best-selling author of I Just Wanted Love, Recovery of a Codependent Sex and Love Addict, available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. This podcast is for male survivors of sexual abuse and assault who want to experience a life worth living beyond a tragic past. I'm a survivor just like you, and I know the complexity of healing from trauma. I also know the joy that comes from the healing process. Hear our stories and share your own. You are not alone. You too can breathe deep and journey on. I encourage you to visit the Journey On website, www.journeyonpod.com. There you will find a link to sign up for my Recovery Journey newsletter, learn about my weekend recovery events for male survivors, and my online recovery coaching services for male survivors. If you have questions, concerns, or comments, or would like to be on the show, email me at journeyonpodcast at gmail.com. Journey On is on social media. Tweet us at journeyonpod. Find us on Instagram and Facebook at Journey On Podcast. The month of April is National Sexual Assault Awareness Month, sponsored by the National Sexual Violence Resource Center. This year, the SAM campaign is Engaging New Voices. The focus will be on involving coaches, faith leaders, parents, Greek life, and bystanders by preventing sexual assault. Many groups know about sexual assault and believe it is a problem, but they don't know how they can help. With this year's toolkit and postcards, the NSVRC hopes to help these new voices begin to talk about preventing sexual assault. You can download the toolkits and postcards, as well as other supporter tools at www.nsvrc.org slash saam slash get involved. Look out for our social media posts this month using the hashtag SAM, that's S-A-A-M, and the hashtag Journey On as we celebrate National Sexual Assault Awareness Month. I'll be looking for your posts with the same hashtags as well, and you never know, I might reach out to you and want to hear your story. I want to thank all of our guests this month for being willing to share their stories and inspire others to get support and to offer that support as well. On this week's episode, I am talking with Patrick Dottie. Patrick is a national speaker on the topics of child abuse and assault, bullying, and LGBTQI rights. Patrick is the author of I Am Me, Survivor of Child Abuse and Bullying Speaks Out, which is now available on Amazon as a paperback and Kindle download. And I have read this book and it is a page turner. Please pick up this book and read Patrick's story. Patrick Dottie is also known as the first survivor of the prolific serial killer John Wayne Gacy. Patrick will share his survivor story with us today and tell us how he managed to put his life back together after such a heinous assault, which shattered his childhood innocence and plunged him into the depths of dysfunction. Patrick Dottie is truly a survivor, and I'm grateful he reached out to me. Take a listen. So, good morning and welcome to the show. Patrick, can you tell our audience who you are? 
Yes, um, my name is Patrick Dowdy, and I'm an author, advocate, and um, I speak out to help victims um, nationally who have been abused, bullied, um, and have nowhere else to turn. Well, I imagine that that's a, that's a challenging position to be in um, as an advocate for people who have been abused. Um, can you tell our audience kind of how you got started? Sure. Um, you know, what's interesting. I, um, you know, I grew up in a Italian Catholic family um, on the northwest side of Chicago. My father was an Italian immigrant, and we were this um, family. Uh, there were five of us. I was the youngest of five. We were this picture-perfect family, and everything was supposed to be um, perfect. And my parents were wonderful people, but they knew a lot of what was going on in the household. And out of um, reasons of not wanting to um, expose the family so our relatives wouldn't realize what was going on. It was kind of like this secret. And, um, I mean, there's so much we can talk about and we will, but that's kind of the beginning of it all. So would you say part of your work is to make sure that uh, the secrets are exposed? Yeah, I mean, really right now what I'm working on and it's a major project is um, coming up with curriculum, education curriculum that is based on um, abuse and the signs that parents should know. And I want to push that curriculum out to teachers, school superintendents, parents. Um, it's so important and it's so untouched. Yeah, it sounds really um, important. I mean, one of my best friends, she's a professor at University of Florida. And part, you know, her major goal is, um, her name's Dorothy Esfalage, and Dorothy's major goal is to get grants, and then once she gets, she gets her grants, she goes and speaks to places that will let her speak about anti-bullying. And it's amazing because a lot of schools don't want her oh my. because when she goes into these 
wealthy communities like Glencoe or, you know, any major city, they feel like my kids aren't bullies and I don't want them to be labeled as bullies. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I totally understand that. I was bullied as a kid too. Um, And I know that you speak a lot about bullying because it happened in in your family of origin. I have been reading your book. Um, Can can you tell us uh, the name of your book and where we could find a copy of your book? And then we'll just dive right into the story that um, I think probably inspired it. My book is called I Am Me, a survivor of bullying um, and child abuse, speaks out. Um, my book can be found on my website, which is www.patrickdati.com. And it's also available on Amazon. Um and um, so that's a great start. Um, 2017 is going to be an amazing year for me. I'm doing some wonderful stuff. Um, I have some great speaking engagements that I'm doing. Um, you know, I'm a little bit different than most speakers i have a couple different platforms my platforms are related to anti-bullying child abuse prevention and domestic violence and lgbt issues um and i know that's somewhat broad but the reason that i do that is because those are things that are important in my life. Right. And those are the things that you've been impacted by. Correct. Okay. All right. Well, we're here on Journey On. We are talking to people who have survived childhood sexual abuse. And I started this podcast because I am a survivor as well. And so I wanted to bring on survivors of childhood sexual abuse or, or sexual assault, even as, as an adult for people to hear our stories and to share their own right. because sometimes we feel like we're in isolation. And I know your story right. starts at a very young age. How old were you when when you were assaulted? Nine years old. Wow. Um, and part of what my story impacted not just nationally, but um, internationally, is that I'm the first victim that got away from the serial killer, John Wayne Gacy. If a lot of people don't know who he is, he was a monster. Um, He killed and buried 33 boys under his home. Um, Gosh. Where, and, and, and what was interesting for me after I learned and became an adult, um, 
I was the first victim that got away from him. He tried to abduct me from a department store here in Chicago called Goldblatt. And had he succeeded, I would be dead right now. I would have been the first one. Um, it was 1973, and before um, before all before he started his rampage of killing, um, he had been, I believe, in Iowa, and he was working some odd job, and he was molesting boys, but he wasn't killing them. And he came back to Chicago. He started a construction company and um, that's where it all began. And DJ, I mean, the weirdest thing about it all is my best friend that I grew up with who we've been best friends from kindergarten. I didn't know this at the time. Neither did he. Gacy lived on the next block. And my best friend's father was a Chicago police officer. Wow. So this man was, was in the neighborhood of, you know, in the neighborhood where you probably dressed, frequented dressed up as dressed up as a clown mm-hmm. um he would do neighborhood things he's he was known to be um Rosalind Carter had a picture with him um mayor daly our mayor here in chicago um who's deceased um was connected with him. The story does not go away. They believe that he is connected with the Chicago Mafia, or was. And so it's interesting because I get contacted by people all the time here in Chicago. And as you see from my website, I mean, I've been on all of the Chicago um media including you know wgn abc news nbc news fox um because the story won't go away yeah how could it i mean this man i i imagine is well known throughout the, the world as being one of the most prolific serial killers Right. And you were a victim who survived. Correct. So you're nine years old, and based on what I know from your book, you, your brother, and I believe maybe one other person went to the department store? Right. Can you can you say what happened? How did you come into contact with Gacy? Sure. Um... It was a January winter day. Um, we 
um, went to my cousin's house to just hang out. We were nine-year-old kids. Um, we were going to have a snowball fight and just do what typically typical kids do. And um, after about a half hour, we got cold, and my cousin lived literally a half a block from Goldblatt's, the department store, which is similar to like a Sears, if your audience is not familiar. Mm-hmm. And um, they had a candy store area and we all pulled together our chains and we bought some candy and we sat in the hallway of the stairwell of the department store and you know as kids we were joking around and we decided to play hide and go seek um, in Chicago, you have to be creative, and when you live in the city, um, you have to do, have fun your own way. So anyways, I was a seeker, and um, they all went out and hid. And um, after starting to look for them, I needed to use the restroom. And when I went up to the restroom and went into the stall, took my jacket off, um, I, I heard this person next to me in the stall next to me. And then he got up, and I heard a lock. And I'll tell you right now, that lock of that door never, ever exits my mind. I hear it every day. So I got up, put my jacket on, washed my hands, and as I started to exit the bathroom, he was standing there in front of the door. No one else was in there. He took out a knife. He held it next to my neck. And he said, you're going to follow me to my car, and you're going to do exactly what I say. At that point, you know, my parents had told me about stranger danger, whatever. And at that point, I felt like he's going to kill me. I don't care. I'm not going to leave with him because if I leave with him, he is going to kill me. So at that point, um, I screamed. And I started to have a fit. 
And he locked the bathroom door, ripped my clothes off, and proceeded to rape me. Gosh. I just can't imagine how terrified you must have been. Well, I was nine years old. When he was finished. I had totally forgot that my brother and my cousins were there. I mean, that was the last thing in my mind. And my immediate thought at that point was putting on my clothes and running home, which I did. And my parents, it was a Saturday or a Sunday, I don't remember. It was a weekend. My parents were out shopping, and I ran up to my bedroom, and I got into my closet, and I cried. I was... At that point, my life as a child, he stole everything from me. What did the, when you say he stole everything from you, your childhood, um, can you say more about what that, what that really means for you? Yeah, my life changed. I was a, I was a straight A student. I flunked the third grade after that. Um, I isolated myself from all my friends and my family. Um. I don't know if you're aware of this from traumatic issues like this. I um, had a condition which was obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm-hmm. And I would pray several times a day. And, um, My life changed. I I was not. I tell people now and I say it in my book. I lost my childhood. I lost who I was. Um, And it's sad because. I have an amazing, an amazing 20 year old daughter who's the love of my life. And I provided her with everything 
in the sense of not just financial things, but love and care. And um, because of my book, because of my publicity, she obviously knows everything about me. Mm-hmm. And it's not been easy for her. Yeah, I imagine it's probably quite odd seeing your dad on the news talking about something that happened to him when he was nine years old. Maybe knowing that her peers uh, are seeing those uh, news uh, interviews and, you know, you going on book tours and, and things like that. So, yeah, so her childhood's been impacted, too. Yeah, I mean, when the book first came out and I was doing all of my interviews both, excuse me, both internationally and nationally. Um, She was still in high school at the time. And obviously she has my last name. Mm -hmm. And kids would ask, I saw this man on the news last night and his name is Patrick Gotti. Do you know him? Excuse me. And she would say, that's my father. And they were like, oh, my God, his story is amazing. And to her credit, um, when they asked about me, she said, my father does amazing work. And he has a website. And if you want to know anything about him, you can go there and research it. But it's not for me to tell. Mm. Was that something that you had encouraged her to say? Or she just came up with that on her own? Not at all. She did it on her own. Sounds very mature. Very much so. So... When did you know, when did you come to realize that the, that the man who raped you in that stall and that department store was John Wayne Gacy? Um, as I may have indicated earlier, um, my best friend, since we're five years old and we're still best friend, um, his father was a Chicago police officer in the 16th district here in Chicago. And we had no idea, myself or my friend or his family, Casey lived on the next block from where they lived. 
um, that day he was arrested, which was in December. Um, it was a Thursday, and we had gotten out of school. My friend invited me to his house to play pool in his basement. We were hanging out, and um, within about a half hour, we started hearing all these um, sirens and commotion. And then when we went upstairs to his main floor of his house, we looked out and the police were surrounded, the whole neighborhood. The media, the news were out there. And at this point, we still didn't know what was going on. And um, we wanted to find out. My best friend's father um, called his mom at the house and said, don't let the kids out. There's something going on, and I'll tell you about it later. And um, we didn't go outside. His mom turned on the news, and we were watching what was going on. It was live. And as soon as Casey's mugshot came on the screen, I knew that was him. I ran to their bathroom. I began to throw up. And I was crying. When I came out, I begged my friend's mom to take me home. And she's like, Patrick, I can't. The media is blocked the driveway. And that was my first thought of attempting suicide. You say it was your first thought of attempting suicide? Mm-hmm. Mm. Which I did about a week later. So that was the, the first time. thought. Yeah, the thought of at that point, thirty-three young men were killed and buried under his house after he was arrested. Came forward, and for me, knowing that. I was the first victim that got away. Had I come forward, maybe they wouldn't have died. So you felt guilty. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. What other feelings did you have 
Um, at that time? Yeah. Well, you know, as a teenager, um, I had felt that I was gay and thought I was, although I didn't know what gay was. And once I felt those feelings, I pushed them aside because growing up in the household I did, it was unacceptable. And so I hid, hid deeply. Um, married two women. I've, as we mentioned, I have a twenty-year-old daughter, who's the love of my life. Um, I did what my family expected me to do. And so I take it that when you when you saw that Gacy was a man who molested you and you became sick and wanted to go home, you did not tell your family what had happened. No. Um, statistics show 80 to 85% of men and boys never come forward about their abuse yeah. out of shame. I'm familiar. And that was one of those statistics. Mm. So you held on. You held on to that that secret. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think for most people who hold on to that secret, they experience a lot of pain, um, sometimes depression, anxiety, Um, and I heard you mention that, you know, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, which is an anxiety disorder, um, you know, and some people turn to drugs and alcohol. Is, is that a part of your story too? It was, it was, yes. But... To be successful with my advocacy work, I need I needed to control all of that. Mm-hmm. All right. So, at some point, you came forward. So at mm-hmm. some point, you came forward and told your truth. When did you decide, and right. how did you decide? Um, it was 2011. Um, before um, came forward, um, I had already my psychiatrist had recommended that I write a diary to therapeutically release 
what I had gone through. So I had done that already. Um, and my father died in 2010. In around February 2011, my mother had my brothers and sisters over to the house to talk about my father's will. And um, my brother who bullied and abused me most of my life was there. And he's an alcoholic and he's a cocaine addict. Um, I was supposed to bring some wine for dinner. When I walked in, I forgot it. And he asked where it was. And I explained that um, I was running late. And he imagined my mother's kitchen, my family sitting at the table, and he called me an effing faggot. And that he hated me my entire life. Something that he had said before, but never in front of my family. And I looked at them, and they all kind of put their head down. Not literally, but turned her head around. Again, it was their way of not exposing an issue that was very important because they didn't want to admit it was going on in our household. At that point, um, he said he was going to kill me. And he picked up a knife and he chased me out of my mother's house for a block. Good grief. I got away. Called my best friend. My best friend picked me up, went to the police department, filed a restraining order. That's what changed my life. And I actually wrote my brother a letter and thanked Had he not done that, I would not be here in the sense of telling this story to you or to the public. So filing the restraining order against your brother changed your life? No. My brother threatened to kill me changed my life. Gotcha. Okay. So his threat to to kill you changed your life, and what happened next? What do you mean by that? It changed your life. Well, a lot of things happened. Um, I started my advocacy work. Um, social media became a huge part of my life telling my story um 
reaching out to people that would allow me to tell my story, but on a very big basis. So um, in 2011, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Resources was selecting their six trauma victim survivors for the 2012. And I wrote a letter to them and I was selected. They flew me to DC. They interviewed me for about an hour and a half. And with my agreement, they took that video footage and um, used it in 2012 as education-based material to children and their parents about um, abuse and the signs that they should recognize. Wow. So, so that was the beginning. Mm-hmm. So at that point, you your story is inspiring others, or at least educating others. Yeah, I mean, when I returned from D.C., every Chicago television station picked me up. I was on ABC News, NBC News, Fox, WGM, um, and it just elevated. I mean, I had no PR firm, um, nothing at that point. My book wasn't even out but people wanted to know my story. Mm-hmm. And is that you told everything? Mm-hmm. That must have been freeing like for I you. Like I am with you now. What? I said that must have been freeing for you. Of course. Um, you know... The biggest thing for me that came out of doing all of this and is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, Early on in my advocacy work, probably right after I did my work with the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. There was a mother, her name's Dawn, 
she lives in upstate New York. We're very good friends now. Um, she didn't even know about me at this point. And um, she started to research. Her son, Hunter, was becoming isolated. Um, grades were similar to mine, you know, dropping, not communicating. I want to say he was 11 at the time. So Don did some research on the internet and came along to my website. And she read what I had wrote on my website. Immediately, like the next day, she researched a psychiatrist and found one and sent her to a psychiatrist. And after like about three sessions, Hunter had disclosed that he was being molested by his father on his visits. Oh my gosh. And um, so that was so incredible for Dawn and Hunter to get him help. Although um, about two weeks later, I don't know if you're familiar with Denise Brown, Nicole Brown. Yeah, yeah. Simpson's sister. She's domestic violence advocate, and I was a guest on her radio show in New York. And uh, I had posted on social media that I was going to be on her show. Dawn knew it. And um, during the show, telling my story like I am now, um, Denise had mentioned we're going to take some calls from callers that want to ask you questions. I said, that's awesome. And Dawn was the first caller. And she said, Patrick, it's me. And you knew I was going to call. And I said, yes. And she put Hunter on the phone. And he said, Mr. Dottie, you saved my life. And I said, how's that? He said, if my mother didn't get me the help that I needed, I was going to commit suicide the next week. That changed my life forever. Yeah. I can see why. And that's why I think it's important for us to share our stories. Cool. Because someone, someone out there will be able to relate. Even if it's just one person, we could help that person. Right. Get the help that they need. What can you 
what can what kind of what kind of advice could you offer to our listeners who have struggled with their own truth maybe they were molested as a child or assaulted as an adult what kind of advice can you offer well where I'm heading right now it's all about education Um, we lack it we lack it in the school systems we lack it in the home and I'm not sure why maybe it's because parents don't want to admit that their child could possibly be molested. Bullying. I mean, I never talk politics. Never, 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 never. With this new administration coming in, it's going to be a huge issue. Mm-hmm. With regards to bullying, with regards to aggressive abuse and now is the time to support those issues and to make a difference Um, so the advice I give people would be more education parents need to be researching on the internet that has so much information Mm -hmm. Um, you know talking to their children you know I have a 20 year old daughter Um, because of my experience I've had many conversations with her with regards to this is not okay. This is okay. Um, you know, unfortunately for me, you know, there we have a high crime rate here in Chicago and nationally, but you don't have as many stories of these crazy serial killers as we did back in the day Mm -hmm. and at least that we know of and um, it I it changed my life I will never be the same person I'm not dwelling on the aspect of the anger and the hurt that it caused me right now what i'm focused on is how can i help another child how can i help a parent understand and those are my goals and i also and i think you and i've talked about this developing 
educational curriculum to help enhance school um, school superintendents, school principals, teachers, parents on the stuff that is so obvious what they take for granted. Yeah, it's wonderful that you're able to, to provide that 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 education and you are a resource. You, know, you are a resource to people who who need it and your voice to a lot of people who are unable to speak about their abuse. And exactly. We need more people like you. And, you know, I'm inspired by folks like you who can tell their stories. Um, and it's helped me tell my story. You know, um, there have been people that I've interacted with uh, over the years who have inspired me to tell my story. And that's why we have this podcast today. And so if we can mm -hmm. all get together and tell our stories, who knows what we can do? Right. Well, before we close, I wonder if you uh, have any final words that you could could impart to our listeners. Definitely. Um, you know, I'm not pitching myself, but I think a lot of people would learn a lot about me and my experience. So my website is www.patrick, P-A-T-R-I-C-K, dati.com and my book is on Amazon and um, definitely a must read um, especially for victims and or family members who have been um in situations like you and I. Yeah. And, um, so, and I'm always a resource. You know what I mean? I'm not clinically able to give people advice, although I'm an ear for them to listen. Mm -hmm. That's what we need. We need more people to so. listen. So thank you for offering that. You know, you get, you are a listener. And yes, like you said, you're not clinically trained, but you are a survivor. And I have right. been reading your book and I am deeply entrenched in your book. And it's just very moving. And you just capture the essence of the, the era of you growing up and, and dealing with the trauma. And you, you just really capture well, that. DJ, it's like my publishers told me, you know what? There's too much here and you shouldn't focus on one aspect. And at that point, they wanted me to focus on John Wayne Gacy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, no. That's not my story. It's a part of my story, right? But it's not my story. 
And if people want to learn about what I've gone through, they need to know everything. That's true. That's true. So I recommend to our listeners to pick up Patrick's book. It's on Amazon and you will be engrossed in that book. I tell you, it's a page turner. So definitely pick it up and check out Patrick's website. Patrick, I want to thank you for being on the show. You're an inspiration, and I am so grateful that you and I have been able to connect, and hopefully we can do some more work together. And uh, anything that I can do to help support you, just let me know. And um, I just want to uh, thank you again for for really being uh, vulnerable and authentic today because I know it will help others. I agree. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. And I appreciate the work you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks. Have a great day, everyone. Journey On is looking to hear from you. If you're interested in sharing your experience, strength, and hope with our audience, email us at journeyonpodcast at gmail.com for details. Journey On's production is currently funded in whole by me as part of my desire to provide support to those who are still suffering. Production costs fluctuate and can be prohibitive in terms of what I can offer to our audience. You can help support Journey On's mission by supporting the production. There are two options. You can donate the amount of your choice directly from your cell phone by texting the word JOURNEY to 855-735-2437 That's J-O-U-R-N-E-Y to 855-735-2437. Or you can become a patron of the show by setting up a monthly contribution by going to patreon.com slash journeyon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash J-O-U-R-N-E-Y-O-N. Once there, you can select the contribution level of your choice. Thank you for considering. Don't forget to visit journeyonpod.com and sign up for my Recovery Journey newsletter. Once you're subscribed, you will get more information about my weekend male survivor retreats and my online coaching services for male survivors. Journey On is produced by DJ Burr and the Recovery Legacy Network, bringing you recovery on all fronts. Learn more at recoverylegacynetwork.com. Today's music features tracks by CDK and Airtone. You can learn more about the tracks on our website, journeyonpod.com. Until next time, breathe deep and journey on.